people come to me to talk about sex because I love doing it. Move that way a little bit and I'll insert right there. And not everyone that comes to me is psycho or crazy. Kink, polyamory, sexual functioning. Are you having trouble in the bedroom? Do you not know what to do? Well, tune in. You're going to find out. Um, so this is the Let's Talk Sex podcast. I just told you a little bit about it. We talk about sex. We are here to inform you guys, answer questions, give you information. Um, you can find it at sexandrelationshiptherapist.com. We're also on iTunes, uh, Sound, SoundCloud, yes, SoundCloud. And we have a few YouTube videos. Um, we've done uh, two at Liberator, one on mobility and sex. So if you're injured or have a disability, uh, whether long-term or short-term, how you can still have a great sex life. Uh, we did another one on how to have um, awesome sex without intercourse because sometimes intercourse for women is not possible. Um, and so learning how to use certain toys from Lilo. Then we also have videos with trapeze that I just spoke about, um, like what is a swingers club? And then also talking about swingers and their experiences. So check those out. Um, also, if you want to support the podcast and just have some awesome uh, materials, I'll pass this around for you guys to look at. But this is a card for Aloe Cadabra. They're an all-natural, organic, um, high-end, uh, what's the word? Lube. lube. Forgot the word. Uh, it also has on the back reasons why some over-the-counter lubes are not good. Um, and there's a discount code that if you go to their website, you get 25% off your first order, your total, and free shipping. Um, they have some different flavors. I love the peppermint tingle. Um, if you're a female and you have any problems with um, vaginal irritation, please do not use it in your vaginal area, but it'd be great on other parts of your body, like your nipple. If you have no um, discomfort, it doesn't go from that really cold and icy, hot, and then burning like some over-the-counter um, brands that have like two letters involved. I won't call out names, but that can cause some quite irritation for some women. Um, so this one does not. It does have that kind of cool but doesn't go to that, oh my God, get away from me, rush into the, the bathroom, the shower, and like don't touch me for like two days effect. Um, the pina colada is kind of cool. It's just a different flavor. Um, and then I can't really speak on the lavender or the vanilla, but I'm sure they're great as well. So definitely check them out. Definitely take a, a look at the back of the card. It explains why certain chemicals are bad for our ladies' vaginal health. Guys, you're, you get a little bit of a break on that one. So check them out. Um, and so I want to introduce my guest host tonight, Anna. Anna, tell us about yourself a little bit. I am a sex and gender therapist in Roswell. I work with Wellspring Counseling Center, and I am the president of Atlanta Polyamory, a local 501c3 as of this year. Yay! Organization we focus on education and community building from within. Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. I was excited when you got it. And thank you for being here. I'm excited to have you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you made it. Sorry about the hurricane traffic preventing you from getting here sooner. But well, that's timing. It. I had I a client right up until 6 o'clock, so it was like... <laughs> Out the door now. Sorry. Yes. Gotta go. Exactly. Me in the bathroom. I was like, can you please hurry this up? So I gotta go pee right now. So yep. you've had me for 55 minutes. I gotta go pee. Yep. Awesome. And we have our awesome special guest, Eli Chef, Dr. Eli Chef. Don't want to forget your doctor. Tell us about you. I am an expert witness and relationship consultant and author. I also do ghost writing Ooh. and um, writing consultations if people want to turn their 
dissertation into an article or their uh, master's thesis into an article or a book or something like that. Move to self when I um, need blogs edited up of the Eli. <laughs> Awesome. And so how did you get into being, I guess, an expert witness and researcher, author? How did that happen? Kind of accidentally. Um, initially, I had a partner who wanted to be polyamorous. And we didn't know the word at the time because it was like 1993, maybe. So I was 10. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was actually older than that. I I was in my early twenties. How old was I in nineteen ninety three? I was, I was probably twenty two, I think, ish. Yeah, twenty two, twenty three. And he really wanted to have multiple partners, and really wanted an open relationship and didn't really have many models for it. And when he first, very first told me, I was like, whatever, freak, like, I don't care. You know, I'm not going to, you're my boy toy of the moment. I'm going to be done with you in 10 minutes. I'm going to go back to real relationships with women. Like men are disposable for me at that point in my life. And you know, like, I don't really care, whatever. And then I accidentally fell in love with him. And then it was a big deal. I was like, Okay, I was so cavalier about this at first, and now I'm incredibly freaked out right. about it. Like, now that I'm in love with you and my heart's on the line, I don't understand how you want to be non-monogamous and never get married and have a lifetime partnership and have children. Like, how do those four things combine? I don't understand. Um, so when I... We talked about it all the time, and I eventually went to graduate school and heard an interview on National Public Radio with Ryan Nearing, who at the time was re- was running Loving More, which was a paper magazine at the time, and I think is an electronic magazine now. Okay, but it's do they also still have group. paper magazines? Hey, like I think so everything's online. Right, right. Yeah. But I was I remember it so clearly because I was driving home. From and it was snowing and the traffic was terrible, so I listened to this Wait, entire where were program. You? Colorado. Oh, I was saying you were in Georgia because no. it doesn't. So I was in here. graduate school getting my doctorate <laughs> okay. at the time, and driving back to Denver, my mother was kind enough to let us live with her that first semester at graduate school because we were trying to find a place that we could afford to live and things like that. So um, I was driving back from Boulder to Denver in the heavy snow. So I listened to this whole doing like 12 miles an hour the whole time. <laughs> um, listened to this entire program about her and her organization and polyamory. And at the end they said, and you know, they're in Boulder. And I was like, Oh my God, I was just in Boulder five minutes ago. And this is a, so um, I went home and told him and we went to one of their meetings and I checked it out for probably just on a personal level. Like, how do y'all do this? I need to know because when he says to me, he wants non-monogamy, I hear you're too fat and you're bad in bed. Mm -hmm. Like you are not enough. And that hurt. It wasn't easy for me to think, oh yes, you know, I'm excited about non-monogamy when I was feeling it as a lack and kind of an attack. Yes. Mm -hmm. So 
as an intellectual, I intellectualize things that frighten me. And if I could figure it out and put it under the microscope and, you know, then it wouldn't be so scary. So I started researching it in graduate school, wrote a dissertation on it. Um, Hey guys, it's your sex therapist, Michaela Black here. And I want to tell you guys about a wonderful lubricant that I personally love to use. It's called Allocadabra. Allocadabra is 100% natural and organic. The main ingredient is aloe, so it's soothing, it feels natural, it's wonderful. And they have all these different flavors. They have lavender, they have the coconut, they have peppermint made with essential oils. So if you guys are looking for a great lube, try out Allocadabra at www.allocadabra.com. Didn't it didn't work with he and I? Like we had the total fatal flaw in the relationship of him really pushing and wanting to be mm-hmm. polyamorous in a specific way that involved him with multiple women. Mm-hmm. As soon as it was me with another man, right? He totally could not handle that, and he was like, "Okay." So that leads into the "what is polyamory?" Great question. That is because I get that a lot. You know, I have I have clients come in. I'm sure you do too, Anna. That I'm polyamorous. I'm like, okay, well, tell me why you say that. And then they start describing all this. I'm like, that doesn't sound like polyamory to me. So then I pull up your awesome article on the what's it called? Seven forms of non-monogamy. I go read this. Take a few minutes, and I'll tell me what you think you are. They're like. I don't think I'm polyamorous. I'm like, yeah. So what? Talk. Let's talk about what is polyamory for those who might be confused or not sure. And how do we know if we're polyamorous or not? Like, do we just wake up one day? Are we born that way? Shall I? Yes, please. So the way I define polyamory is multiple open, honest, emotionally involved relationships. Mm -hmm. So there's some level of romantic connection or um, at the very least a very strong platonic connection. Mm -hmm. Like I have people in my poly family that I'm not necessarily romantically connected to, but they're dear people in my life. Poly affective. Yes, exactly. So can we define poly affective for those listening who might not? I made that word up. It was so fun. Poly people make up words all the time. So I was like, <laughs> I need to make up words too. It's the emotional relationships mm-hmm. that are not necessarily sexual, sexual, but they're embedded within a larger polycule or a poly network. Mm-hmm. And I found in my research that they're the glue that really holds the poly family together. So sex doesn't hold poly families together. No, sex wow. is by far <laughs> secondary. So it's not all it's about sex. It's the poly affective relationships mm-hmm. that are the real meat. That if that family's going to make it for the long term, if the poly affective partners can't stand each other, it's mm-hmm. doomed. Okay. If they can really mesh well together, they can help the romantic relationship through rocky parts because things aren't as tense with them because they're not having sex and they're not quite as right. gritchy with each other as, you know, like that sexuality does add another it's, component. It sounds almost like a like a, a best friend, but a little bit more than a best friend. Mm-hmm. Chosen family. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People who you're not blood related to, but yet you have a strong connection and you might do anything for them. Exactly. But there's no sexual relationship. There's no like, legal relationship. It's just an emotional bond. Co-husbands, maybe. Mm-hmm. So Spice. 
So what else is polyamory in terms of gender identity, sexual identity? Is it everything? Is Any it- and all. Yeah. In, in Atlanta polyamory, we have uh, people of all races. We have all gender identities. I myself am actually gender fluid and I'm mm-hmm. with a trans man. Um, we have gay, we have lesbian, we have pansexual, we have asexual, we have literally everybody. Okay. So it's not limited to, okay, just this set of people and this set of Absolutely people. Absolutely not. People. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, and that's kind of new, ironically, that it used mm-hmm. to be not all that long ago. It used to be mostly bisexual women huh. and heterosexual men. Why is that? And, um, that's a long story if we want to really go there. <laughs> the cliff notes version maybe? <laughs> for, that's um, for another podcast with the cliff notes. Right, right. <laughs> that's a that little unicorn hunting <laughs> thing and maybe that other sex and gender minorities were getting their needs met in other communities. Okay. But the poly community has become a lot more Diverse, I would say, in the last five years, really? significant changes in the poly community, and I think Atlanta polyamory has been a driver of that and a symptom of it. You see the diversity, and with the choices y'all have made, I don't know if you mm-hmm. want to say anything about choices towards Our, diversity. When it was founded, it was very much like white mm-hmm. cisgender male bisexual women, very like and and pro-family, right? That was the push. And as the the years have ticked by, Billy Holder, who's a, who was our founder, really pushed for more inclusion racially. Um, and it worked. He connected with Black and Poly, which is another local organization that's very strong. And um, they were working together for a couple of years, and it really worked. And then... As you do, they got burnt out, the mm-hmm. founders of the organization, so they pass it along to a couple other people who kind of dropped the ball. Mm-hmm. And then me and my co-officers, Marguerite and um, Misty, took over. So their Marguerite is black and queer identified, and Misty, I know she's black, I'm not sure how she identifies. Maybe hetero, maybe bi. No really cared. Yeah, I don't really ever care about you, but I sit there one day, I'm like, I think she is, but I don't really know, yeah. but it doesn't really cross my mind. That, you know, they're just like, so how do you identify sexually? I don't care. Not, <laughs> not generally a question I ask of people yeah. who have clients. Right. Even then, sometimes I don't bother to ask. But anyway, so, and with me being queer identified as well, like there's, we've had a big push in making sure that all of our events are inclusive of those and making sure that there's visibility. And so we've been seeing a lot more visibility from the queer community at Poly Events. We'd like more, but. So if you're in Atlanta, email Anna. So how does someone know that they are Poly? How does that come about? I often have conversations with people about whether it's by choice or by nature. That is a common dialogue that people have. I personally, in my life, I've recognized over time that I'm poly by nature. Mm -hmm. I I have found myself in so many relationships trying to be monogamous and interested or falling in love with somebody else at the same time. right? And then other people, they fall in love with somebody who is poly by nature or they just figure out over time that they could do either and why not choose poly right now while it works and then later on down the line we'll do monogamy for now it's fun like 
it's all valid. I know that recently, I think I talked with you about it a little bit, is it's come up with some of my clients and even in my personal life where you're in a monogamous relationship and it's called monogamy, but yet you form these emotional attachments with other people, which for some in a monogamous relationship is seen as infidelity and emotional cheating, though it's like, no, 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 we're just really good friends. We're best friends. And that confuses me because it's like, no, you're, you're treating me like a romantic partner, you know, or my, or a client, you know, is describing this. And I'm going, this doesn't sound just like a friend, you know? And to me, like, this sounds really more like polyamorous. So I'm wondering, is this something that's coming up more because open relationships are a little bit more accepted these days? Polyamory is more accepted. Have you either you heard this type of example and want to provide some that sounds actually more like relationship anarchy to me than polyamory okay relationship anarchy can be a form of consensual Mm non-monogamy in that people who do it aren't necessarily organizing their lives around a single romantic partner like marriage is the key to adulthood and kind of the pathway through Mm -hmm. life maybe they have romantic partners but maybe that's not the sole focus of their emotional and familial Mm -hmm. connection. You know, they probably have other chosen back to polyaffective partners, Mm -hmm. chosen family that are as important or more. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's your friends that really last across Mm -hmm. your lifespan. And you may have partners come and go, but a good friend sticks around long. So that kind of, investing in a non-sexual, non-romantic relationship, or maybe it is sexual and romantic, but not having that be kind of the hinge towards, is this important or not? Sex added? Yes. Important. Worthy of my time and attention. No sex? No, not worthy. You know, relationship anarchists aren't saying the presence or absence of sex is the litmus for whether this is an important relationship or not. Or the presence or absence of biological Mm -hmm. connection. Like you can be real family, even if you are not legally or Mm -hmm. biologically related to each other at all. You can still be real family. I think the important thing is consent, that we all agree to this. And so what does one do when they begin to realize, okay, maybe my behaviors, my feelings are going away from monogamy, but I'm maybe in a monogamous relationship or I've never done this before. What are some some tips that you found working with coaching people, working with clients, your own lifestyle, and if you want to share how to navigate that? I would say monogamish yes. relationships mm-hmm. are a much easier way to start. Mm-hmm. Polyamory is really intense and complex and comes with a lot of expectations yeah. of being able to fall in love and being able to have these really long-term relationships. Mm -hmm. And when people aren't sure that's what they want or that their relationship can tolerate that, it can be a big, a big commitment that if other people hear, Oh, you're polyamorous. That means it's okay for me to fall in love with you. Mm -hmm. And they're like, "Mm, I don't know, we're just kind of checking this out. That other person has a lot at stake. Whereas if you're in a monogamish relationship and you're like, we're just kind of, we've got a little bit of wiggle room and we're just checking out 
the edges of it. And that's in fact why I said, I don't know if I'm in a polyamorous relationship or not. I'm still in a monogamish relationship with my wife in that I'm not really dating anybody else and there's I'm just not that into it right now. She, her fling, turned into something quite serious. And so now she's got a real girlfriend. So she's not monogamish kind of anymore. Or is she? Just because she has this one girlfriend, does that make her polyamorous? Mm -hmm. I don't know. So we're not really defining it. We're just kind of doing it. And some people don't. It's define working it. fine for me mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, some people don't like to define and have this label. They just like to go with what feels right and natural, and that's okay in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? Just do it. Do it feels good. Now, at some point, I think we do need some kind of labels and, and definition to keep a boundary. Though, if we're clear on what that is and it works, any thoughts, Anna? I have clients a lot of the time who come in and they're defining their relationship by these like preconceived boundaries based on the label that they've chosen and they haven't talked about them. And so one will step over a preconceived boundary and all of a sudden the other feels betrayed because we're doing open. We're not doing poly. You can't do that. Right. And I'm just, Say, okay, it's time to like negotiate what you guys are actually doing. Throw out the labels. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What matters is what works for the two of you or the three of you or the four of you. You have to figure that out. Disregard these descriptors mm-hmm. that we use because that's not what makes you guys happy. Right. So I want to take us off a little bit because um, a question just came into my mind that I want to hear about. How does a poly family form. How does this happen? Oh gosh, that's a big question. I know. I mean, I don't identify as poly, so I was like, well, how would that actually happen? If, I, if it were me, you know, I, and I've seen someone, like, how would that happen? Well, there's lots of different ways. <laughs> um, in my life, the, the section that I can identify as a poly family, I met a guy mm-hmm. and he was already connected to five other women. Okay. And some of those were poly minded, some of them were not. They were mono waiting for him to get his shit together. Yeah. Okay. And Did the, he get his shit together? Uh, not not really. the way they thought. <laughs> okay, well but that's another story. <laughs> because in that part he told everybody, I'm just dating. Like he yeah. wanted no labels, he wasn't poly. Mm-hmm. He was actually like firmly denying that that applied to him. Mm-hmm. And I was like but some of these you've been with three and four years. It's a long dating time. You're poly. And finally he embraced it. And the four of us who were poly-minded, we were like the sister wives. And we'd <laughs> get together. Your OTV show. Right? Pretty much. <laughs> and we felt like it. And um, we'd get together like every couple of weeks. And we'd have dinner. And then we'd have lots of kinky sex. And we'd just like sleep together. And we'd snuggle. And like us girls weren't necessarily sexually connected. But we loved each other. We were family. Because we all got along and we loved this guy. Right. And to this day, I mean, I happen to see him at my office today. Oh. He's a client of another therapist. And I love running into him because hugs and kisses and my people. I'm not with him so romantically anymore. So but what happened to the sister wives? Uh, drama. Because oh. human relationships. Um, but... Three of us are right. still around. One's not so much. And the okay. two of us are best of friends. Like, 
I met my best friend for probably life through that relationship. Awesome. So that goes into human relationships. We're all human. So what are the similarities and differences between a poly and a monogamous relationship? Because I know I've had this conversation with you guys many times. I have it with clients all the time. There are lots of things in common. And there are some things that are not. In my mind, finances, stress, just uh, managing a household if you're living together, sharing um, even children. I know, Eli, you can talk a lot about children. Um, sex, those seem to all have very common similarities at times, especially conflict over sex. Is there some, a few, one, two, however many that stand out more to you guys that come up most often? That are more specifically related to poly? Mm-hmm. Time management okay. is a big one that comes up for poly people. So how is that different than a monogamous relationship? Because I have a lot of couples who come in and they're like, we just don't have time. And it's like, you do have time, you just don't manage it. And you have to schedule sometimes time for sex, time for intimacy, time to go on dates, time to clean the house. So how how does that differ in the poly family? Because you've got more players who are demanding time. Mm-hmm. So only one of me, but more people who need me to go around. Yep. That seems really stressful. Yep. Talk about that a little bit. Um... So often, a lot of times, conflict between metamors, which is like mm-hmm. partners of a shared partner. Okay, so that's metamor. Metamor. M e t a m o u r. Okay. Um, or polyaffective, depending on the relationship between them. But often, a conflict that arises is this tit for tat comparison between date nights or like number of minutes you spend together. <laughs> you have 14 minutes and 30 seconds. Yes, and I want my 15 <laughs> minutes because I'm priority for whatever. But now we need transition time too, so. Right, like that's a, a pretty common conflict that comes up. Okay. And the conversation around primary, secondary, tertiary, mm-hmm. you know, level of importance that people apply to relationships it's a very common conversation for poly people and there's a couple different camps there's people who aren't hierarchical at all and there's some who are absolutely hierarchical right and sometimes they date and they disagree or they're married to each other and they disagree so that's a pretty common okay so it sounds like it's more of we all need to sit down or if you have a primary partner you guys figure out what you both want and then bring extra in, bring more in. Don't just go out there without any guidance because then you have another shit show going on. Okay. Some of the kind of back to how do the families form? Mm -hmm. The families that form with a very specific goal in mind of we're going to find Like, my ex was a unicorn Mm -hmm. hunter. We're going to find a bisexual woman to add into the family, and she's going to be X, Y, and Z, and we're all going to love each other equally. So, question. I feel like what you're describing is more of a swinging relationship and not poly. Am I wrong? It's it's a poly figment. It's not necessarily how the poly relationships actually work out, but a lot of people come to the polyamorous community looking for this free-floating bisexual woman that they can kind of fold in to their existing relationship. Okay. And not that many families actually end up forming that Mm -hmm. way. 
much more frequently if people come in looking for the unicorn that they're both going to connect with if they stay with polyamory at all at all and i'm sorry i'm speaking not of every poly person i'm talking about the respondents yeah. I'm talking about my own research right, right now when my respondents do that they would much more likely have a much more flexible actual structure they give up on looking for the unicorn and have mm -hmm. more independent relationships and then if that worked out to be friends okay great um some families kind of condensed down from larger groupings mm -hmm. you'll have a moresome or a poly network a moresome is a relationship of five or more condensed down into a quad which is a foursome or a triad which is a threesome a lot of families mm -hmm. The core of the family will form that way, and then the edges will kind of come and go. They'll have partners, you know, mm -hmm. here and there, and the partners, who's a partner and who's a friend, isn't always completely clear. Back to relationship anarchy, there's some fluidity at the edges of the families. So it sounds like, in a way, a, a spider web could begin to form. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what I'm coming to my head. is like this, okay, we started with this little tiny spot, and now we're kind of going out a little bit. Now we're going out further. Now we have this huge thing in the middle of my doorway that I can't get into my door. You know, spider web. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it sounds like it can be very simple, and then go to be very, very intricate. And I won't say complicated, but very intricate, with lots of communication. Depending on how open it is, there are some polyfidelitous families mm -hmm. that are just themselves. They're a closed system, so they're not fuzzy around the edges. They're okay. a clearly closed, like those three have often a fluid bond that mm -hmm. they've had pretty extensive STI testing. Right. They either don't have anything or they know what they have and they're on top of it. Right. And they're not having fluid exchange with people outside of the group. They might not be having any kind of sexual contact with people outside okay. of the group. So that's polyfidelity is that closed group right. versus polyamory, which is the more open and fluid. Okay. So there's a there is a difference. I didn't know that. Uh, thank you. I just learned something new. Polyfidelity, which again is more of a closed group of people who have an agreement, but though they may bring sometimes extra people in or no. Depends on the generally not like true polyfidelity right. is just that group. It's just a unit that these doors are closed. But as with any poly relationship, people make up their own. They're all idiosyncratic. There is no like single way to do polyamory. People okay. do it all sorts of different ways. And maybe some people call themselves polyfidelitous, but with some permeability. Kind of like know. monogamous. Where yeah. I'm mon I have a monogamous be. relationship, though we have some leeway in that. Right. Depending on what we agree Right. Like, if you go out of town, awesome. Or, okay, you're going to be living in this city for like three months. Go right ahead. Okay. Gotcha. So let's talk about sex, because that is what this podcast is about. And you brought up you know, that in this, the units that I know what I have, I know what I don't have. We're not bringing any other fluids in here. We're going to keep this safe. So how else does that work though? When maybe you have more of a free flowing polyamorous versus polyfidelity and there is sex going on. Communication, lots and lots and lots of communication. That's the glue that holds polyamory together, honestly. Okay. And I think it holds most relationships together. Yes. <laughs> but more so the polyamory. Yes. If you're in a polyamorous <laughs> you relationship and you're not communicating, it's going to fall apart faster right. than a monogamous one. <laughs> um, so 
Full disclosure, I have an STI, mm-hmm. and so I communicate from the very jump on all of my profiles, mm-hmm. and any interest of ever having contact with me, I disclose, mm-hmm. and then have a conversation about the safer sex practices that I insist on for my safety and theirs, um, and for my partners. Mm-hmm. So we have a conversation about... I don't happen to have any partners with an STI at the moment, but if I did, Mm -hmm. I would say I have a partner with this other STI that you might need to consider. And I would invite them to have conversations with their partners about what do we do? What are they comfortable about us doing in our interactions? And so it's a, a, a negotiation process of what do we need to do to make sure that everybody's comfortable with what we're talking about doing? And that involves consent. So there's a conversation about what activities are we going to do? Like maybe we're just doing a scene and there's not going to be any fluid contact. Then we don't need to have necessarily at this point the full conversation. Mm -hmm. Just like if we happen to break skin, grab a band-aid, grab some gloves. Right. And if we're talking about sex, then we talk about what barriers and what chemicals, because I happen to have a chemical sensitivity as well, so I include that as well. Right, you so. do <laughs> Darn chemicals. The funny thing is, mine's glycerin. Like, oh, yeah. I'm allergic to like everything on earth. Yeah, you like. are. Jeez, I'm sorry. No <laughs> soap for me. Oh. Um, but I digress. Um, so, uh, communication, like, and it, it sounds ridiculous for a lot of people early in the But it's not. Like, yeah, we get a lot of people who are new to the community and they're like, when do I tell somebody about this? And we always right say, away. Yes, right like, away. Like, like, like but I'll be way back to it. And it's like, yes, probably. And that's not the right person for you. And it, right. it's scary for people because we're not taught to talk so forthrightly about sex no. from the jump. Right. And to put things like our STI status online on our public profiles. Mm-hmm. But for me, over the years, in my experience of being in the public community, it's worked well for me. Well, I feel like you probably have a more safe community to put that out there versus, yeah. you know, like another well-known dating site that you pay that a lot of heterosexual folks go to, won't say any names. Mm-hmm. You might not put that out there because... It's not that safe of a place, but your right. group is safe. Yeah. I mean, that is what you created it for and the boundaries you have and the expectations of this is a safe place. Like you can say, you can communicate and it's okay. And some of my respondents actually make that communication into kind of a fun social event. So mm-hmm. they'll all go get tested. They'll all right. go get current tests. Everybody in the polycule or the relationship network, mm-hmm. um, will go get tests and make a dish to share. And then they'll come have a potluck where they're seeing, I mean, it's one thing to think, Oh, my partner has three partners and their partner has four partners and that person has whatever, but to see everyone in the same room, the whole network and say, we hold our collective sexual health in our own hands. You are responsible for these people really brings a sense of reality and caring and that it's and trust. have the potluck and show and tell everybody yeah. pass your results around. So you know what it is and we're going to talk about mm-hmm. 
how to make it fun, right. how to make it. And sometimes that becomes an orgy, a post-potluck orgy <laughs> with the whole I see the network. And sometimes not. Sometimes it's poly people aren't necessarily always having group sex. Some of them don't like group sex at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, mm -hmm. some of them much prefer one-on-one -on -one sex or some of them have, you know, group sex occasionally. It's like a condiment right. rather than the main event. Sometimes I want ketchup. Sometimes I want mustard. Right. Sometimes I want both. Mm -hmm. So that actually brought to my mind about, you know, in monogamous relationships, I feel there's more stigma with disclosing STIs and STDs. Though in a poly relationship, there's more of a... a this is a safe place. We understand that we're all human. We understand we have to communicate. And so in a way, it's a similarity and a difference in those type of relationships where, yes, we need to disclose this and we need to communicate, though it's safer over here because this is what we've agreed to do. And we realize this is for our own safety and our family. And I have just one quick thing to say about that. I know yes. you have something to respond <laughs> on, a, but I just wanted to say super briefly, research shows mm -hmm. that people who are pretending to be monogamous but are actually cheating... Mm -hmm. transmit more sexually transmitted infections than polyamorous people. Consensual non-monogamy is safer because you can talk about it. Right. If you're cheating, you can't suddenly five years into a relationship say, honey, I think oh, we should start way. using condoms. <laughs> Honey's going to be like, what? Yeah. All Why? of a sudden, five years now, you want to, what the heck is going on here? Mine, what can I say? All right. So I want to take a few minutes to jump into, um, oh, actually, wait, before we jump into that, sorry, I just had a thought, Courtney thought, children and living. So if we can take just a few minutes, talk about like, living arrangements. If you have a poly uh, unit family, how do you, how do you do that? Because if I have a house, we own a house, well, really technically only two people can own a house. But if I have two, one, two, three, however many other people I want to come live with me, how does that work? Because if I've lived in this house for 10 years with you, but you own it, but I don't, and then we part ways, what happens? Depends on, again, communication. If you set it up up front, like, okay, how are we going to share money? How are we all going to own this? Some large and stable poly families okay. develop an LLC, for instance. They'll incorporate oh, wow. as a limited liability trust. They will literally create a business. They do. Mm -hmm. wow. But it's not, it's, okay. I mean, it's not like a nonprofit or whatever, well, but yeah. they like structure it after that business okay. model where everyone has specific shares of mm -hmm. things, houses and cars. There's, there are also legal documentation about having you know, access to children and what happens okay. if a biological parent dies unless they don't communicate about it. And right. then you could live in that house and pay for all sorts of stuff for 10 mm -hmm. years and you break up. You don't have any legal, nothing right. recognized, not, no access to yeah. those children. Even if your career took a mm -hmm. nosedive because you raised them oh, wow. and you yeah. can't see them anymore and you don't get alimony because it's not a recognized a marriage. marriage. So if you haven't communicated about it, you need you're to. Screwed. Yeah. <laughs> you need to do that right now. Pick up the phone tomorrow and call a family lawyer who who supports which Holly makes Holly more accessible to higher income people because mm -hmm. you know who's got money to pay a lawyer to right. for Great. special things that Contract. other people get if they just get married. Right. You know. Okay. Any thoughts, Anna? Input, experience. 
Um, I've personally not had a lot of experience with that. Um, I am solo poly because I don't want to deal with the nightmare <laughs> of uh, who's paying what bills and who's buying what house. I'm going to buy my own house. I'm you're, going to live on my own house. <laughs> and I'm going to be independent because I'm terrified of that situation. And, that's, and I'm and that's also... Just a raging bitch when I live with somebody. Um, <laughs> Note to sell. It's better for all of you us. You will not be my house guest. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> house guest is okay. okay. But roommate, not, not no. so much. Okay. Note to sell. Not, not going down that way then. No. And I've made that decision for myself. Right. Um, over a couple of years of experience of trying that, mm-hmm. like being around somebody 24 7, I just I get real tired of them. Right. Can I also just mm-hmm. say that most people who do have children, are not actually facing that. Most people, at least most of my respondents, Mm -hmm. who are pretty characteristic of the mainstream polyamorous Mm -hmm. community, not necessarily characteristic of the every poly everywhere, Mm -hmm. but a lot of these respondents with children will live in what looks like a monogamous family. It's just the two of them living there, but they have a lot of cross-pollination. They have people over spending the night. Okay. They have big dinner parties. They have a, a busy and social right. life with lots of a pretty permeable household, mm-hmm. right. but not necessarily other partners necess- living with them all the time. Okay. I would say the, the bigger the group, the less likely they are to live together mm-hmm. and the rarer they become. So there's more open couples mm-hmm. than triads, more triads than quads. Okay. So it just seems to sort of take its own little route and journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, we're all human. We're all individuals and things happen to us. And sometimes we figure out how the hell we get here. <laughs> all right. So Anna, I want you, if you don't mind, to talk a little bit about tips to improve or balance your poly relationship, if you have one, or if you're thinking about one, what people need to keep in mind as they are creating these little polycules or units or Mm -hmm. triads, quads. So going back to the time management that seems to haunt everybody, Google Calendar. Oh my (laughs) gosh, Google Calendar. One of these days I'm going to put together a class. Yes, you do. I keep saying it, and I keep not doing it. Maybe I'll do it. Um, and there's a couple other programs mm-hmm. that are very similar. I've heard good things about Cozy. Oh, it's I've a heard that one. smartphone app kind of thing. C O or K O? Do we know? It's C O Z Y. It very well could be K O Z Y. Well, Google both listeners. C O or K O. I've heard really good things about that one. It doesn't, I don't know if it's got a computer, a desktop interface that would like. I've never used it myself, so I'm not sure. I like Google Calendar. And I also like Google Drive. I yes, use Google Drive. Google Drive is awesome. To put down in writing all of those negotiations and agreements. Mm-hmm. And I use Google Drive to journal and share that with my partners when I'm really upset and I can't <laughs> have a conversation right now. with them without screaming in their face. I use Google Drive and I journal it and then I can edit and I can change words. <laughs> and, and then they get what I really want to say. You can so make it more healthy conversation. Exactly. And and I use Google Drive for my personal like guidebook, mm-hmm. my user manual. I heard this idea from Cunning Minx on the Polyamory Weekly podcast mm-hmm. years ago. And I've developed my own from her template and some other things. And I've just tossed a bunch of information together about 
who I am and how I work and how people can care for me and love for me. And I encourage everybody that I ever talk to to put that together so that when we're in that moment where we can't communicate and we're just breaking down and we're too emotional, then they have the information that they need to do what we need, even though we can't voice it. It's an amazing tool. And I use Google Drive because it's a live, shareable document. And it's as I update it, they can see that. It saves like instantly and changes instantly. Mm -hmm. And you can keep it private or just share it with certain people. Yep. Okay. Hey guys, this is Courtney from Let's Talk Sex. I'm here to let you know about the Sports Rehabilitation Center in Atlanta. Sports Rehabilitation Center has remained Atlanta's leader in outpatient physical therapy for over 20 years. Their clinics use a low patient volume and specialize in treatment of orthopedics, sports lymphedema, and pelvic floor conditions. With the latest techniques, including dry needling, advanced manual therapy techniques, underwater treadmills, and full exercise gym, their expert staff will help you recover in the quickest and safest way possible. Go visit one of their four locations in Midtown, Buckhead, Sandy Springs, and Dunwoody, and you will see why everyone from couch potatoes to professional athletes has made the Sports Rehabilitation Center their first choice for outpatient physical therapy. You can find them at www.sportsrehabcenter.com. www.sportsrehabcenter.com. What about stress? How do we manage stress? Oh, stress. (laughs) That's another common thing with all human beings. We are terrible in this modern era of managing our stress. And it becomes like under a magnifying glass Mm -hmm. when you step into ethical non-monogamy relationships. Mm -hmm. If you're not managing yourself through therapy and self-care and support groups and a good social network and support network, it's all going to blow up. Mm-hmm. It just does. So how can therapy help people in a poly relationship? If they're individually working to be the best person that they can be, mm-hmm. the relationship is going to be the best relationship it can be. So you're talking about individual therapy, which mm-hmm. I help folks with as well. What about family therapy, which I also do as well? I know you do too. Absolutely. I don that um, referee outfit <laughs> quite often. I don't think mine would be appropriate to wear to work, just saying. But I'm glad you're <laughs> honest. Uh, I, at the very least, bring the whistle into session quite often. because, And I, uh, as part of Atlanta Polyamory, I facilitate every other week a support group. Okay, of, right. With anywhere from 8 to 20 plus poly people trying to work out their shit in a room together. Um, and quite often, like, conflict comes mm-hmm. up, and there needs to be somebody else who can translate. Right. The unbiased right. person. I don't have yes. to go home with you, but I can sit here and listen to all the shit you're bringing. Right. And tell you really what's going on. And sometimes okay. poly-affected people can provide that, mm-hmm. and sometimes they can't because they're too biased. Yeah. So having somebody, even if it's just friends in the community, to step in and help hold the space for those negotiations, but again... They're probably biased in one way or another. The therapist is not. Yeah. We're paid to not be. Yeah. (laughs) We're paid not to be biased and not to make decisions for you. Sorry. We can help guide you. Yeah. So I want to take about 10 minutes um, for some Q&A. We have an audience here. A few folks. Yes. Could I just very briefly oh, say yes. kind of the difference between coaching okay. right, and therapy. That's a good is point. Is that therapy would really delve down mm-hmm. into the reasons why you're jealous yeah. and the 
roots of that in your familial experiences mm-hmm. and help you kind of deal with it from the root. Yeah. Coaching is much more likely to say, let's figure out some self-soothing strategies that when you're feeling jealous, that's a difficult feeling to feel right. in general. Your life goes better when you can feel your difficult feelings. So this is bringing up jealousy, but you need, this is pointing to a skill, a life skill you right. need of self-soothing. So let's talk about what you can, how maybe you can take a walk, maybe you can journal, maybe you can take a bath, maybe you can go out with a friend or bake your favorite thing or, you know, whatever, like mm-hmm. come act, literally come up with a list right. of strategies more so rather than looking at the root following the jealousy to its psychological roots. Right. Where did all this begin? Pretty right. Much. Coaching like, would follow it just to the social root of the moment mm-hmm. and look at, okay, what do we strategically do about this now? Right. It's a very good point because therapy, and I provide like, what is therapy? It's like therapy is one where you can grow as a person, um, you know, grow as a couple or family, depending on what you're coming in for. And also, you know, one thing I tell folks is, when you see something happening in your life over and over again, and you realize you're the common denominator and that sucks, that might be when you need therapy because we need to look at why are you doing this? And that may be more than just, Oh, just change this and do it this way. It may be, no, we need to look at where that started and resolve that issue. You know, a coach can definitely help with the here, try this and try that. But the therapist makes you cry sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes people cry in coaching too. They can. Right. Right. So that's a very good point. So questions from any of our current audience members about anything that you just heard tonight or that maybe you came in with that you just want to know? Can I answer the question I was going to ask? Is really the, the, the number one thing was, well, it, you alluded to it earlier, the male ego being so fragile. Uh, <laughs> you know, we do it or have a, what I understand to be a poly-effective relationship with someone else. Then she has an, uh, you know, an actual sexual relationship with someone on the other side, and mm-hmm. I've completely lost control of my my life. Is in a spiral now. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you deal with that and and still you know kind of keep the family together? Your life is in a spiral because this woman that you're attracted to is sexually connected to someone else. This woman that I've been married to for 15 years is now sexually active outside of it. and I have I have two beautiful sons and I I intellectually understand polyamory and, and, and I love the idea of it because people can get their needs met mm-hmm. and in I say more power to her she she communicated with me in advance and everything it was wonderful I said I mean I wasn't go get it but right. you know, it was, yeah no I understand you gotta do what you gotta do and that's fine but now but, you're feeling some kind of way no, about it no but when it happened yeah. So, yeah. you know, for people that maybe not have, who haven't had that much experience in it, mm-hmm. do you have any suggestions for managing the uh, the insane amount of uh, emotion? So, who's going to start over here at this table? <laughs> I would. I'm just going to say very briefly: be gentle with yourself. This is not at all an unusual reaction, and it doesn't necessarily mean that either you're broken or her relationship has to stop that you can ride this wave. It feels really intense right now. And often things calm down a lot over time. My respondents talk about things being really intense and as they kind of find their fit together, that it really 
can actually, the intensity can wane and you can experience good things from it too. But if it continually completely sucks and never, ever gets better, then it's a problem. It also sounds like to me, and I don't want to speak for Anna, but maybe you need that unbiased person to help you go through your own kind of growth and journey. And what are you feeling? Again, very normal. This happens in a lot of open relationships where, yeah, this sounds awesome. This sounds great. And then when someone or a couple starts opening that relationship, it's like, oh no, I wasn't expecting that. And that's totally normal. But let's talk through that and why. doesn't mean it has to end. It just means maybe we need to get comfortable with it. We need to look at my own issues, core issues that are coming up. Um, and that's where like individual therapy is really is really helpful. Like Anna said earlier, is you're growing yourself, which is going to help your relationship. And it might also be like couples therapy with you and your wife of, you know, this. Let's talk about what we're doing. I know we had that communication, but it seems there's been a little hitch, and we want to just talk it through. And having that unbiased person in the room is just there to you know throw out some. Well, this is what I'm hearing, or have you guys thought of that? Because a lot of times couples come in, and I say that like, oh. We never even thought of that. I was like, mm, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. A very, very, very common topic at the Poly Support Group is that same idea of I'm totally okay with it in theory, and then my emotions tell me that I'm not. So I don't know if I'm okay with Polly or not. How do I figure that out? And what I tell people is we've been trained to think that somebody having sexual relationship or romantic relationship with somebody else is painful. So there's like, I call it lizard brain. Yeah. There's the ancient part of our brain that for however many years we've been alive on this earth has been told that a person doing this is supposed to hurt. And so our, our front part of our brain recognizes that this is okay. But the, the animalistic ancient part of our brain is going, Oh dear God! My life what is, is coming going to on? an end, and, and you're trying to like balance the two and figure out which one's right. And that goes for not to take us too much off topic, but like even with other sexual practices like watching porn or masturbation, I get a lot of couples who come in and it's like the, the world has come to an end because oh my God, he's gone to the bathroom to masturbate. Or, oh my God, she's <laughs> playing with her toy while I'm at work. And it's like well, okay, yeah, so. But that's a big issue because, again, we've been taught that, no, once you're in this monogamous committed relationship, then this is how it has to be. And it can't be anywhere else. And so trying to change that is stressful. And you have to come to your own comfort and terms with that and then really see what you want. I feel like we're trying to fight that lizard brain and the, <laughs> the, the, the male ownership thing, you know, yeah. in a sexual relationship. Male, Absolutely. that's... I get a lot of what I call that male ego, male competency comes out because it makes a lot of, especially A-type men, feel I'm not competent enough. I can't do enough. And that's not true. There's a lot of A-type men that I know that have successful open relationships of any type and they enjoy them. And it's looking at, no, just because my partner's with someone else doesn't mean I'm not a man, you know, or I can't please her or him or whoever. It just means this is something I want to try and we have to look at those messages we received as children currently and today religious, you know, can be a factor as well of what's going on. I just wanted to add that the first time that I had a close partner um, become sexual with someone else. Um, I also had those overwhelming uh, jealous feelings. Um, but I found that I, over time I was able to become acclimated to that. And I was, I was actually pretty surprised at 
how quickly those those feelings subsided. So awesome. I mean, if you can, I mean, if you can ride through it, I'll ride you know, <laughs> and get some support. Yeah, talk to other people who. I'm here. Even if it's a support group, yeah. and I know we're Thank starting you. one in yep. January in the the. Inside, what is this thing called? Plan is to expand to every week in Roswell Mm -hmm. and every other week or so in town. Like the kids inside the perimeter. I will be there and be a pride. Triple. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to triple the options. And we're in a UU church right now. Yes. The UU have the Universalist UUPA, which is the Universalist Unitarian Polyamory Association. Oh, nice. And so a lot of polys with kids who want to form a religion that isn't going to shame them become either pagans or you, you. Good to know. Yes. Um, so I think it was uh, Anna who talked about um, a couple who's, who said they were monogamous, but one of them had a, a really close friendship that you identified as being romantic. Um and so you're like, oh well, are you are you really monogamous then? And so I would, even though that relationship wasn't sexual, uh, and I would tend to agree that I feel for for me, uh, romance is much more associated with friendship than it is sex. Uh, mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask, what? What exactly would you say the distinction is between a romantic relationship versus a close platonic relationship? That's a good question. I think it was you that were I think, yeah, I think that might have been, I think we both sort of hit on that. Yeah. So it's it's actually interesting that you bring this up because it's come up um, a few times. I think sexual identity also plays a part because if I'm, I'm heterosexual, so I can have a very close relationship with Anna, and that's what it is because I'm not sexually attracted to her. Sorry, I mean you're, yeah, no. just not not my thing, not my makeup. But if I have a close relationship with a male, then that could look kind of like, oh, what's going on there? But with the same sex, if I identify as lesbian, then my close relationship with Anna might look like, okay, is this really a friendship or is this becoming emotional infidelity? And for me, and what I suggest to a lot of clients is you need to communicate with your current partner or partners of what does a friendship look like? What is a, a very close relationship with that poly effective look like? What is fidelity or uh, infidelity? Sorry. Um, and you all know where that boundary is because my boundaries may be different than someone else's. And so I can't really speak for anyone, but I can say, well, this is what I would consider. You might want to talk about that. Also, what do you not want outside the relationship? You know, I had a partner where he really did not want a lot shared outside with even like my close girlfriends, but my close girlfriends are my, I go and bitch to them when stuff, I'm just stressed out and that's just what it is, but it made him uncomfortable. So we had to talk about what is it okay for me to bitch about with them and them to know, and what do I not, you know? So it's again, a lot of communication and identifying what is appropriate, what is not, and creating that boundary. And it's unique for everybody. Yeah. It really is. Like, for some people, romantic versus friends is the amount of time they spend together in a week. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the activities they do. Or the Maybe. intimacy level. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, the, the topics that they discuss. Mm-hmm. Or um, would they run out in the middle of the night to rescue you from a car accident? 
maybe that's a partner level instead of a friend level. Um, for me, I'd do that for a friend. Right. It's completely independent. So right. it's something that everybody involved has to talk about. And intimacy is a, a big topic as well because intimacy, I can have intimacy with Anna, but not sexual intimacy. It could just be emotional, but I could have, you know, sexual intimacy with someone else and, but there's no emotional intimacy. So we need to figure out what is intimate to me and what is intimate to you. And again, creating that communication and that understanding and boundary. I think a lot of poly people maybe aren't necessarily, especially the relationship anarchist leaning poly folks aren't necessarily that concerned about distinguishing what's friendship, what's romance necessarily. I think it's a much bigger issue for people who were in monogamous relationships, but let's say still have contact with an ex on Facebook you know, like have send each other little flower emojis mm-hmm. on Facebook. Maybe they haven't seen each other in person. Mm-hmm. They haven't been in the same room in five years, 10 years. But the fact that they chat every night on Facebook and send flower emojis and things like that, maybe their spouse, if they knew the full extent of that Facebook interaction, might be feeling uncomfortable with it. But I don't think a poly person necessarily, if they've got, if they're dealing with a lot of jealousy, they might be up in that person's business about who's on your Facebook feed and what's, I need to look at those messages. But if they're just like doing their own thing and the relationship is progressing fairly smoothly, then they're probably not caring what kind of interaction they're not patrolling that or policing it. It's kind of just whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And also being very clear, <clears throat> when you form a new relationship with someone, really clear what your your intentions are. Because when that communication doesn't happen, you know, that's where a lot of things just shit hits the fan. And you can lose some really great relationships as well. If you're just not very clear, even up front about, okay, what are we doing here? We're going out to dinner. So what is this? Is this like, you're dating me? Is this we're just kind of seeing if we want to be friends? Like, you know, I mean, I'm a very transparent person. So if you ever meet me, I'm going to be, this is who I am. But that's just me. I've learned to be very comfortable with that. And it's helped most of my relationships. Those who it hasn't worked is it's because that person hasn't been comfortable with that level of, of transparency. Um, I think for some of their own issues. But transparency has worked very well with me and just being very clear. Any other questions? Explain one more time, um, relationship anarchy, that term. Yes, it's actually um, a a kind of difficult term to consider. Um, So not necessarily focusing on the way relationships should be or by obligation, but by looking at what kind of relationships you want in the moment. You're not with someone because it's a legal relationship or you have to be there that relationship exists because both people are choosing it, actively choosing to be together in the moment. And if that moment doesn't work for them and they don't want to be together anymore, then they don't have to be necessarily. So it can look like a lot of fluidity, but more often it looks like chosen family. And the way, the thing that made me understand it really the most was when one of my respondents explained how her sister is her primary partner. She has a non-sexual 
partnership with her sister that they raise their kids together. They live together. She can count on her sister. If his, her sister says she's going to pay half the rent, she actually pays half the rent. Her children are safe with her sister. She takes care of her. And the men in their lives kind of come and go. They have sexual relationships, but none of the, and they're open to having a long-term man, but none of the men have stuck around and been nearly as reliable as her sister. So they're a team. And that's relationship anarchy because it's not a traditional marriage. It doesn't look like a man and a woman having kids and moving through life. So it's not even a same sex marriage. No, no. They're siblings who are life partners raising the children together. It sounds kind of like, uh, I mean, even in some third world countries, this still happens, but back in the day where you had like villages and literally the village raised the children. I mean, or you have like some families who they like live on a big plot of land, but in separate houses, but yet everyone is in everyone's house and it, you know, it's like, okay, if this child gets in trouble, it doesn't matter who the mom or the dad is, anyone can discipline. Okay. I think I'm getting relationship anarchy a little bit more now. I didn't get it either. So <laughs> as much as I've read Eli's stuff, I'm like, I still don't get this. It's Courtney, and I would like to thank Good Clean Love Lubricants for providing my clients and podcast listeners with samples of both Almost Naked Personal Lubricant and their Biomatch Restore Personal Lubricant. Biomatch Restore is formulated to mimic the natural pH levels of the vagina and helps reduce the risk of bacterial vaginosis. Ladies, if BV has caused havoc in your life, contact Courtney via Twitter handle at CJeterLMFT to find out how you can get a free sample limited to the first three messages. Courtney's clients, ask about these samples at your next session. The way session. I've always like, conceptualized it and the way I heard it was each player in each relationship allowing the relationship to be defined however that it works for them organically. So there's no pressure to grow it to certain levels or definitions of commitment or re- restricting it to being friends. There's an a freedom to allow each connection to be whatever it is organically without judgment or constraint. Which is kind of the flowery definition. <laughs> but when I think of relationship anarchy, I, I I think that the relationships are descriptive rather than prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Um like if a prescriptive relationship would be like, oh, you're my primary, you're my secondary, and and because I've given you that title, like you have these certain privileges over the other partners. Whereas if it's descriptive, it's just like you know, you are the like our relationship is just what it is, mm-hmm. um, and you know that that could be fluid or change, but um, that's a good way of saying it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I think it's a very. I'm, I'm gonna give you those. I, I might give you those privileges because just because we are closer, but not just because you have a title. It's a very tough term to to understand because I think it's so very open and non-descriptive that humans are used to labeling, and that's out of our our brain's capacity. <laughs> we you talked about the situation. You know, we're both. I think pretty open. I felt like I was pretty open. Obviously, I was the more closed off of the two, and and I feel over the time we spent together, learned to be more open. Mm-hmm. Now, 
now that I would want to explore that. How long have you been together, and how old are the kids? Uh, we got and how married, long have you been on monogamous? Um, well, actually, um, we got married. We were twenty-three. Uh, we're thirty-eight now. We are our oldest is fourteen, youngest is twelve. Um, and you're just opening the the marriage now. Well, she actually had a uh, uh, relationship with a trans woman. That's uh, from that we both knew at school. I don't know. Um, we both visited, and it was it was fun. I thought it was going to be something different, but it ended up because she was kind of flaky. Anyways, I just uh, it happens in life for people, <laughs> <laughs> right? No matter who you are. Um, just. Trying to understand, I guess, uh, that you can't go in with any expectations is, I mean, mm-hmm. like, how do you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is going to be great. <laughs> and then, no, because at this point, I'm feeling like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to explore and see what's out there. And I imagine that there's going to be a reaction emotionally mm-hmm. at some point. And, you know, what do you do to, Maybe uh, honestly, counteract it or preempt it. Or... I think for me, it's, it reminds me of when I went to Trapeze for the first time. I went for the podcast to talk, and they're like, "Oh, do you want to hang out and stay?" I'm like, "Okay, I've never checked it out, so why not?" And so for me, it was. I think I had to just let things happen, and like you said, it's hard for humans to go into situations without an expectation because I need to know if this is going to happen or if this is going to happen. Cause I know what to do if either one happens. And when you don't know, then you're forced to just be in the moment. And that's hard for a lot of humans, especially in the United States. We're not in the moment a lot. Mm-hmm. And so like for me, what you're describing brings up of, okay, I don't know what to expect here. I mean, I've heard different stuff and I just let it happen. And I went with what my body and my feelings were telling me. And it was like, okay, this is uncomfortable. I can go someplace else. Or, oh, this is different, but I'm not uncomfortable. Well, I'm just going to keep staying here. You know, and I did what my body told me felt right and whatever that was. So I think it's knowing you and learning how to be in that moment and not having to expect some outcome. Look like you're going to say something to you, Eli. <laughs> um, it's, it's really difficult not to have expectations. And it hardly ever works out the way people expect. The one thing you really can expect from polyamory is that it will be different from what you expected. As it has been so far. <laughs> yes. <You're saying? laughs> Absolutely. This is going to be different than what you expect, so don't expect anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought, you know, I'm thinking, I get to have my cake and eat it too. Yeah. And then a big kick in the Well, it's like, you know, I hear a lot of, um, especially men, and some women, you know, more men than women, who, when they just try swinging, is... They think, this is going to be awesome. I get my cake and eat too. And then you walk in and see your wife being banged by someone else. And it's like, oh, hell, I didn't expect that. So we need to go back and look at that because that's a normal reaction. But also it's a normal reaction to be like, yeah, I like seeing this too. So it's, it's based on you uh, and not being – and I think what I'm trying to say is don't criticize yourself for whatever response you have because that's your own response and it's happening for a reason. So listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. And prescriptive. Communicate, 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 yes. communicate. This is what this Auchi podcast is about, is communication. <laughs> Every single episode, we talk about communicate. Seriously. Sex and communication. And to give you some guidance on how to do that, because we don't, we don't get classes on that. 
Research nonviolent communication. Google it. Find all the YouTube videos, all the online articles. It's fairly radical, different way of thinking and talking. And it can help both navigate through those reactive moments and set expectations ahead of time. So talking about what you both need, what you're both feeling about a given circumstance, and making agreements between two or more people about how is the thing going to go? If I feel anxious at whatever family event and I am feeling really possessive and I come to you and say, I need five minutes of your time just to reconnect the two of us, what's going to happen? Right? And then your partner has the opportunity to say, you'll get five minutes of my time. Right, and, and if you talk about it ahead of time, then you can set those expectations. But if you go into a situation with unvoiced expectations and they get dashed, it's yeah. your own yeah. fault, really. And one thing that I always have couples do is reconnect very often and on a regular basis, especially in the beginning, like on a weekly basis. You need to have that time for you to reconnect and talk about what you're experiencing, what you're feeling in that safe, you know, nonviolent setting. No kids. Send the kids away someplace else. I mean, go on a date, but make that your time because you need to do that, especially more often in the beginning. As as this goes on, it may be like, okay, we're, we're good. There's no changes. We don't have to do it every week. We can do it like every, once a month like you would a budget, but you have to do that. How do you commit when it's, it seems to be so one-sided though? It can, I imagine, be one-sided if somebody's new to it. One-sided in the chat college. Meaning, uh, you know, you're talking about reconnecting every mm-hmm. week. It's the one partner going, you know, I want to, re- I need to reconnect. Like you just described being, being at an event and I need five minutes of your time. I need right. you to come home right now because I'm freaking out. You know, right. that kind of. And that's what that reconnect and that communication does is if I send you a message saying, I need you home now, then there's that understanding of I, I leave. Like, all right, let me just wrap up, finish up, whatever, right. finish dinner, and I'll be there. Give me 30 minutes. I mean, we can't expect someone just to drop everything no. and rush home. But there can be that, yes, I will be home in this amount of time so that way I can help with your anxiety and this relationship is important. Because if that doesn't happen, then that you know, could say to someone, this relation, this primary relationship is not important. And we need to look at that because that is going to begin to tum- crumble and fall. And somewhat like Anna's um, idea of a user manual, a self-user manual, maybe you could think of different ways that she could reassure you. What, how do you feel reassured? What works best? when you need some reassurance. Because a lot of people in poly relationships, it's okay to need reassurance. It's okay to ask for it. It's totally okay to need it. So, but having a few different specific ways that you could suggest, hey, when I'm feeling this way, I'd really like it if you X, Y, or Z and have it, have talked about it beforehand, which means you thinking about it beforehand and then maybe some of them she can do, some of some of them she can't. The come home right now, I'm freaking out, can unfortunately turn into a manipulative tool sometimes. Sometimes that is, a, is totally worthwhile, but it can turn into an every time 
So, and I'm not saying that you're doing no, this, it's, but it's I've seen it in my response no it. that yeah. it can turn into a way to stop the partner from actually dating. That the the home partner has a crisis of some kind every time that person goes out. They're actually saying, I don't really want you to date, but I'm not telling you I don't want you to date. I'm just sabotaging right. At that point, you do. We need that unbiased person to sit there and be like, okay, what's going on? Because this is not healthy for your relationship, and it's not going to get better, and it's not going to help any other relationship. Right. Would you agree, mm-hmm. Anna? Fully agreed. Awesome. All right. Well, we are at time now. Thank you, Producer Andrew, for our extra few minutes. Thank you, audience, for coming out. Um, I do have just quickly, um, Anna, I want you to think of a number and write it on this paper between 1 and 20. We're doing a little giveaway. Uber Lube donated some. I don't know if anyone's tried Uber Lube, but it's very awesome. Actually great for your hair, ladies. Um, Frizzies. And also for, yes, for sports, for chafing. Better than any freaking sports bar thing I have ever bought. Seriously. Um, so give a little bottle away. I mean, also good for sex too, but still great for other things. It is silicone based. So please do not use it with any, um, sex toys that are silicone because it can wear them down. But other than that, it can be used, um, with, to my knowledge, all condoms. I have not seen anything, um, on the condoms that cannot be used with. Um, so Anna has written down a number, um, between one and 20. So everyone's going to choose a number and whoever gets closest to it without going over, When's the Uber Loop? 15. Okay. It's just right to say 15. <laughs> uh, it's like the price is right. <laughs> um, 16. Okay. 13. Okay. 10. Okay. 7. 10, because the number is 12. Congratulations. <laughs> awesome. All right. So I am Courtney, um, Courtney Jeter, LMFT here in Atlanta, sex and relationship therapist. You can find me at uh, sexandrelationshiptherapist.com. You can find all of our podcasts are posted there. Also on YouTube for video podcasts and iTunes. So go like us, go check us out, go listen to more. We have great information. Um, also we are, we have a new affiliates page. So if you love the podcast and you want to support us, uh, just like we had with Alicadabra, they're an affiliate. We have affiliates with other, uh, manufacturers or brands. So check them out. Any product you buy also helps funding the podcast. Um, and they're just great products as well. If you have questions, feel free to send me a message. I'm happy to try to provide you any input, whether I have experience with a certain product or I can at least say this is my knowledge of it. And I have my awesome guest co-host, Anna. You want to tell them where they can find you? Uh, best place to find me is lovepositivecounseling.com. That's my counseling brand. Um, I also work with Wellspring Counseling Center. Um, their website is wellspringlife.com. And um, I'm president, so I'm at a lot of the Atlanta Poly events. You can find Atlanta Poly on meetup.com. Just do a search for Atlanta Poly. It's really easy to find. Um, and you can join the event, uh, join the group there and get all the information about our events. Um, I got a handout for that guidebook idea. Yes, she does. I uploaded it to my website, so it's on my blog at lovepositivecounseling.com. And our special guest, Dr. Eli Chef, where can they find you? The best place is elisabethchef.com. Elizabeth spelled with an S, not a Z. Okay. E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H, Chef, S-H-E-F-F.com. And you can also find me at blog on Psychology Today. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I would definitely check out her blog on, uh, what is it, Seven Forms of Non-Monogamy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and awesome they can check out my books. I've yes. got Stories from the Polycule is an edited volume, stories about polyamorous families and people in them. The Polyamorous Next Door talks about the research I have done. I'm in my fourth wave of that right now, so it's a 20-year longitudinal study of polyamorous families. And when someone you love is polyamorous, a very short little tiny book useful for coming out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, both of you. Appreciate it. And audience, thank you for coming out. And everyone have a great night. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Did you know that the Let's Talk Sex podcast is not a replacement for your own medical doctor or mental health professional? Now you tell me. Let's Talk Sex is here to educate Detroit. It's also here to give you information, but we cannot diagnose or treat you through our podcast. Now, what's the number to 911 again? 911. Got it. Perfect.